0: 2 Timothy 2 in your Bibles, verses 1 and 2 this morning as we continue in the series. We've um, been away from the series for a little while again. Uh, We've been kind of in and out of it uh, quite a bit. I hope that, um, well, thankful that we have the the sermons online. Of course, you can always go back and glean context again if you need to uh, as we step into this second chapter of 2 Timothy. When you think of the idea of being strong, What is it that primarily comes to your mind? For some, you connect being strong to physical endurance, an ability to handle whatever challenges, physical challenges, life may throw at you. For others, you connect being strong to emotional stability, a refusal to cry in front of others, perhaps, or an ability to keep your head about you, in a sense, when others might be losing theirs. For others, still, you might connect strength to mental acuity, intellectualism, the ability to make fast, clear decisions, to retain a great deal of knowledge. And there's no doubt that these are types of strength, and each is a gift from God and right and good, suited for certain situations. But today we talk about a different type of strength. and it's different in the sense that in many ways it's a paradoxical strength a strength that as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 and 10 8 through 10 a strength that is made perfect in weakness a paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself but is nevertheless true god has built into this world many paradoxes and these paradoxes exist specifically so that faith is required in order to achieve the desired result or in order to see them worked out in the manner that they are designed to work out. Matthew chapter 19, verse 30 tells us that in God's economy, those who put themselves first will be last, right? And those who put themselves last will be first. This is a paradox. Matthew 16, 25, the Bible says, He that would will save his life shall lose it and he who will lose his life for the sake of Christ will find it. This is a paradox. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us that salvation from sin and a home in heaven is secured by believing something rather than by doing something. That I cannot earn my way into righteousness. I must receive righteousness only by faith. This is a paradox. And remember, these paradoxes exist specifically so that faith will be the key that unlocks that door. To blind the eyes of those who would be unwilling to humble themselves before God in faith, humble themselves before truth, so that those who are unwilling to put the Word of God above their own ideas, their own conceptions, their own perceptions, will not actually find what they might even be seeking. If we don't come to God His way, then we don't get to God. And God's way stands in stunning contrast to the way that a man would get ahead in the world. The strength that God would would deliver or the strength in which we are called to live as believers uh, stands in in, in rather strong contrast to strength as the world perceives it. In this world, pride, self-confidence, self-preservation, These are the things that gets one ahead. Humility, submission, setting oneself aside, confidence not in oneself but in God. These are the things that get a man ahead in God's economy. And today we consider one of these great Christian paradoxes that we are called to be strong in the Christian life. But we can't just say, okay, be strong, therefore I'm going to Go to the gym and lift weights. Be strong, therefore I'm going to take those mensa quizzes every day. Be strong, therefore I'm going to pump my head full of information because none of that is necessarily what gets us strong in God's context. Much to the rather, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The call is not to be strong in myself. The call is not to pick myself up by my own bootstraps. The call is not to seek into my own abilities. The call is to be strong not through self-effort, not through self-capacity, but through God's capacity. And in the case of 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we'll see this morning, that call is to be strong in grace. Now, we'll actually come back to Ephesians chapter 6 in a little bit, but let's get into our text proper this morning. Just two verses, but let's work our way through these as we seek to understand these things. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking directly to Timothy here. We know that He's speaking directly to Timothy, not just to the church, but directly to Timothy for a couple of reasons. The first being that we see him direct explicitly, Timothy, my son, so we know that he's speaking to Timothy, um, as he's called him my son several times throughout the context of any number of, of books of the Bible. But we also see here, as we know from the King James translation, the second person singular pronoun, thou. We've talked any number of times before this valuable translational quality of the King James Bible. That in the King James Bible, it seeks to reflect what is in the original Greek and in the original Hebrew as it relates to pronoun antecedent agreement. So, in Greek and in Hebrew, there is actually a different pronoun for second person singular and a different pronoun for second person plural. There is actually one in the Greek, in classical Greek, called the dual as well, and there is one in Hebrew called the dual. So, you have one, two, or three or more. And there's a different pronoun used to reference a different number of people. Well, this is something that the English language does not do. And because of that, the King James translator sought for a way to reflect that unique element of the Greek and Hebrew languages into the English, and they chose to do it by using thee, thou, thine as the second person singular pronoun, and you, your, and ye as the second person plural pronoun. So when you're reading your Bible in in your King James and you come across a thee, a thou, or a thine, you can recognize directly from that that the pronoun that undergirds it is second person singular. That Paul or Peter or, or whoever's writing, Isaiah, is speaking to a single person. And if we see you, your, or ye, then we see thus that there's multiple people being spoken to. And we've walked through any number of times before the various instances where the text changes from a thee to a you or from a ye to a thine. And that change is manifest in our translations in a way that can be truly beneficial to us without having to necessarily dig into the Greek or the Hebrew to understand what's going on behind it. So we see here, thou therefore my son. So we know my son, he's speaking to Timothy, but we also see the thou there telling us that he is speaking explicitly to this one man. And uh, Timothy, of course, is a minister in the church of Ephesus, but we also find from the personal nature of his address, using this phrase, my son, that he is addressing him not just as a minister in Ephesus, but as his fellow believer and fellow worker in the gospel. And the command that he gives, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I mentioned already in our introduction, this concept of being strong is a paradoxical concept as it's related here. Not speaking of Timothy and his own capacities, not speaking of Timothy exercising his body or even his mind, but rather exercising his faith. The capacity of Christ in him. And this is evident from the rest of the text itself that the thing in which we are called to be strong is not our own strength, but rather, having nothing to do with us, grace. We define grace at Legacy Baptist Church as unmerited favor. Being given something that I do not deserve. By definition, then, this strength, unto which Paul is calling Timothy, is a strength that must have nothing to do with him. Because... It has everything to do with grace. By definition, grace is not only unearned, but it is undeserved. We cannot be worthy of grace. Now, we can walk worthy of grace, but we cannot be worthy of grace. We can walk in a manner that is consistent with the grace that has already been given to us. We can seek to live up to that which has already been given, but we can't earn it. We can't live up to grace. We can only seek to walk worthy of grace. If I at any moment in my life was ever worthy of God's blessing, of God's favor, of God's gifts, then I would not have them by grace. I would have them by right. I would have earned them. God would be giving them to me by right. There's a difference between when my children come up to me and say, Daddy, I did this. May I have a treat? In that they're saying that because I did a good thing, I would would desire a treat. That That is me giving them something that they have earned and me simply walking in one day and saying, children, I brought ice cream home. That is not because they have earned it. That is by no merit of their own, but that is simply by grace because I have sought to bless my children on that day. So regardless of how hard I try to conform to some definition of goodness or morality, no matter how much time, effort, or money I might invest in some definition of righteousness, those things do not and indeed cannot earn me any merit or favor with God if I am seeking unto grace. Isaiah 64, 6 adequately declares that we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The very best I might have to offer God in myself is still hopelessly stained by sin. And in the eyes of God, these efforts are filthy rags suited for the spiritual garbage bin. And if the very best that I have to offer God is little more than filthy rags, then my only hope is that God, who never intended for me to be in these filthy rags of my own sin, that's my fault, my choice, my doing, my only hope is that this God who is the judge of the souls of men will confer upon me some favor which I do not deserve and could not earn. And when God does this thing, where he confers upon me a favor which I have not earned and could not deserve, that is grace. And it is this grace in which we are called to be strong. Be strong in God's grace. Not be strong in your own righteousness. Not be wise in your own conceits. Not be strong in your bank account. Not be strong in your intellectual knowledge and capacity. Not be strong in your vast array of charisma and capacities. Now, none of those things are in and of themselves. Well, some of these things are in and of themselves wrong. Wise in your own conceits. But, but your bank account, thats the, having a bank account, having a lot in it, that's not wrong. Having intellectual knowledge, not wrong. Having charisma, not wrong. But not the call unto which we are called as Believers. Be strong in God's grace. Be strong in God's favor, which you cannot deserve. Be strong in God's merit, which you cannot earn. Be strong in the Lord. And this concept is really heightened by the verb that's used here in the King James. Translated, be strong. For my Tuesday night folks, those of you that have gone through the Greek with me on various times, this verb is a present passive imperative. And that's really interesting, because the imperative mood indicates a command, indicates a call to exercise one's will or one's volition. But in this case, it's in the passive voice, meaning that the action is being done to the subject. The subject is not the one performing the action, right? It's an interesting pairing to have a passive voice verb where the the subject is receiving the action with an imperative, a command whereby I am to exercise myself unto an end. How can I be commanded to receive something strange? The call is not for me to become strong in God's grace, thus. The call is to allow myself to be made strong in God's grace. May I say that again? The call is not to become strong in God's grace. The call is to be made strong in God's grace. Not to earn grace. By definition, that's impossible but to best position myself to be a recipient of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe better translated, not be strong, but be strengthened in grace. And this is really a fascinating word to study because it occurs only eight times in the New Testament. And every time it speaks of a human being strong, it's in the passive voice. He has been strengthened. He has been made strong meaning that the subject is receiving the action of the verb. The only time that, that we see that verb in the active voice, meaning the subject is performing the action, is when God is the subject. So this verb in and of itself has an idea of, of being empowered in the text as it relates to man and empowering as it relates to God. So we see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Same word. We also see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, right? For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In both of these cases, we see this idea of the Lord being the, the subject and so he is the one doing the strengthening. I can do all things through Christ, the strengthener of me, right? Christ has enabled me, both in the active voice, both God doing the strengthening, We contrast that then with a couple of of examples, one in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, another in Ephesians 6, 10. Hebrews 11, 34, quench uh, quench the violence of fire, speaking of, of those who had faith, right? Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. That one does a little bit better job of reflecting that passive voice idea, right? Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And then again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally my brethren be strong in the lord now this is not be strong in grace this is not second timothy i already read ephesians 6:10 once before this is not only the same word but it's the exact same grammatical structure be strengthened in grace second timothy 2 be strengthened in the lord ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 and this is wonderfully helpful to us. If you ever do word studies, if you ever go back to the Greek, and, and, and we've taught how to do that on Tuesday nights, we'll be back to it eventually on Tuesday nights again, where you, um, you take a word and you kind of trace it through the Bible and you look at how it's translated. It's particularly helpful when, there's, when it's only used eight times in the Bible. If you find a word that's used 80-something times, things get a little more complicated. But when you, when you do that, and you find a word like this, and you're trying to understand, okay, what does it mean then to be strong in grace, to be strengthened? We see that concept, be strengthened. And then we find another word that's used in, in a very similar context somewhere else, that, that, you, that convergence of that word being used in multiple contexts can give us a great deal of, of clarity as it relates to how it is we're to understand not just what the Bible's saying, but then how to bring about what the Bible is saying. See, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul doesn't necessarily tell Timothy what being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus looks like. He simply says, do this, and then as we'll see in a moment, and impart this strength to others. But in Ephesians 6, Paul goes on to elaborate what being strong in the Lord looks like. So we read in chapter Ephesians 6, verses uh, 11 through 13, "...put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world." against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So when Paul speaks of being strong in the Lord in Ephesians chapter 6, using that same word, being strengthened, that we would see to be strengthened in grace in Second Timothy chapter 2, we see him using it in the context of putting on the armor of God with the intent that we would stand against the deceits of Satan in the day of battle, knowing that our daily enemy is not the people and the things of our world. Our daily battle is not against the policies and prescriptions and actions of the men of this world, but against Satan and his minions who lie in wait to deceive, who seek to tear down, to confuse, to derail us, from effectiveness for Christ. And our defense in this battle is the Lord's armor described as being strengthened in the Lord, seeking unto the Lord's strength in order to fight this battle. And Paul describes what this looks like, what the Lord's strength is. Now, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago at the Heinemann Picnic, we walked through this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to briefly summarize it again here. We're not going to walk through it in detail. I believe I've preached through Ephesians before, so you can get it in detail online. But Paul uses this picture of armor to define these various elements for us. He says in verses 14 through 18 of Ephesians 6, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate, that the believer is called to stand in in order to have victory. This is what it means to be strong in the Lord. And he begins with truth, proper understanding of the word of God, of people, of circumstances, as they actually exist as it re- according to God's design. Not how we want things to be, not how we feel things to be, but how God has told us things our are, excuse me, not how the world sees things, but how God sees things. Then the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we've already gone to Isaiah 64, verse 6, which makes us, makes it very clear to us that it is not our righteousness in which we stand. It's Christ's righteousness in which we stand. And then we live out a love and a a, a, a dedication to a manner of living that is reflective of the righteousness that we have in Christ. And yet, as we think of this as a defensive measure, we are not called to be strong in ourselves. We are called to be strong in the Lord. We are putting on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've talked about this before. There's a couple of different uh, interpretations of what this might look like, whether that is that we have put on God's peace, or whether it is that we have put on a preparation to share the gospel of peace, that being the good news of Jesus Christ. Either way, we are living in God's peace and we are taking God's peace and living it out before men. Faith. The shield of faith. An unwavering confidence in God who creates us, sustains us, and has revealed Himself to us through creation, through conscience, through Scripture, taking all of that truth that we have our loins girt about with and appropriating it into our lives in a manner that is reflective, uh, taking truth in a manner that is reflective of what God's Word has told us in order that we might be able to quench Satan's darts, in order that we might be able to combat Satan's deceits that we might be able to put up that shield of faith in the particular area where Satan is seeking to destroy us at that time because he's going to hit us from just about every angle he can try. Helmet of salvation. That word salvation not always meaning born again. In the scriptures right word salvation having any number of meanings whether that being saved from illness whether that being saved um, from from the consequences of, of, of choices whether that being saved from bad choices whether that being saved from the the penalty of sin whether that being saved from the power of sin we see that word salvation used in any number of contexts the deliverance that we have, the helmet of salvation, that which seeks that, that, that which which secures unto us our deliverance from the power of sin, our deliverance from the penalty of sin, and the confidence within which we can walk, culminating in a complete deliverance from the elements of this world and the elements of the world to come, and then of course the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that this is not the word logos, as we would normally expect here as it relates to the Word of God. Not logos, the Word of God made flesh, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but hrema, a word which means to speak. And so this is that idea of us keeping the Word of God on our tongues. It is that that we have as the sword of the Spirit, with which to pierce into the darkness, the capacity to speak the Word of God one to another, the capacity to reflect the Word of God into the ears of others, the capacity to reflect the Word of God into our own ears as we speak it, as we hear it, even as we sing. One of the reasons why we love hymns so much in the church, among several other reasons, is because they are so doctrinally founded that when we sing hymns, we're learning lessons. We're learning lessons from the Word of God. And all of these, then, are brought to bear in our lives, made personal and effective through careful, watchful, persevering prayer, not only for ourselves, but even more so for one another. Prayer with that perseverance, prayer in importunity, prayer in confidence, prayer according to God's will, appropriating all of those lessons that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ applied, that the apostles applied, and as we appropriate these attributes, mindsets, and determinations into our lives, it is not in doing anything thus that we have found victory, but it is, in, it is as we appropriate what Christ has done, right? By holding to truth, by living out that, that, that understanding of Christ's righteousness, by appropriating the gospel of peace and then taking it with us as we go, by bearing that shield of faith, by living in light of so great salvation, whether the the, the individual salvations of our day-to-day lives and then, of course, the grander scope of salvation, by knowing and speaking God's Word one to another, encouraging one another, and, and, and bringing ourselves to bear remembrance of God's Word, then what does God do with it? He takes His Word and the promises, He combines that with our faith and he works in us the grace to stand so that anybody who has ever stood in the day of spiritual battle knows that it was not you who did the work, right? You have seen God sustain. You have seen God enable. Anyone who's... Who, who, has, who has preached and, and delivered the gospel to another person, who has had a, what we might call a, a, a divine opportunity or, or um, a, a divine appointment to share the gospel, has recognized the empowerment of God to share the gospel with clarity versus coming to your mind, the ability to reflect these truths in a manner that makes sense, the Spirit of God working through you, You've sat across from someone who was struggling and you've been able to give them those words of comfort and you've walked away saying, I don't know if I did anything until they come back to you and say, you did so much for me on that day. And you say, well, it must have been God because I just, you know, I didn't. It is in this context that the grace of God found through Jesus Christ strengthens us. It is when this is the context of my daily existence that I then am made strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It is through these attributes that I, as I humbly submit myself to God, am made strong in in God. And in God's strength, given to me by grace, I'm then able to stand. So, Timothy was called to be this type of man. And maybe as you said under the sound of my voice today, you have been trying very hard to be strong in grace, to be strong in the Lord instead of allowing God to make you strong. You've been pouring all of your time and your effort and your emotion and your spiritual energies trying to be something for God rather than submitting to God and allowing Him to be your strength. You love God, you want to serve God, but perhaps today you're frustrated. You feel like you're spinning your wheels. You aren't getting anywhere except exhausted and frustrated. And maybe a part of the reason why is because you're trying so hard to muster up within yourself the ability or the strength or the will to do what you think God wants you to do rather than allowing God to do in you what he wants to do. And for many of us, it's actually easier in the carnal sense, in the human sense, to try to be strong ourselves than it is for us to stop and willingly submit to allow God to make us strong in his grace. Because when we are there, what it means particularly is that we aren't in control anymore. And that's not an easy thing, is it? It's not an easy thing to yield control. It's not an easy thing to say, God, I am going to have the faith to believe that you are going to do the work through me. And to commit our efforts to faith in the word of God, to putting on that armor of God rather than committing our efforts to doing a bunch of things in our own strength. So instead we say, well, I love God and I want to serve God. So I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to, I know what's expected of a Christian. So I'm just going to produce that. I know that that I need to have joy. So I'm going to produce joy. I know that I need to have this this particular outlook of life that God is in control. So I don't feel like God's in control and I'm not actually letting him be in control, but I'm going to say God's in control. I'm going to produce that so that others see that. I'm going to try to convince myself of that. I'm going to try to live in that, but I'm not experiencing that because what you're doing is you're trying to be strong rather than be made strong. The Christian life is simultaneously the most difficult and the easiest life to live. It's the most difficult because in myself it is literally impossible to achieve what God desires of me no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I discipline myself, no matter how much time and effort I put into cultivating myself, I can't achieve it. But it's the easiest because really all I have to do in order to realize everything that God asks of me is to submit myself to Him and allow God to work in me and through me that which is His good pleasure so that we find, again, a great paradox. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you want to be exalted, you have to lower yourself. If you want to be first, you have to put yourself last. If you want to be strong, you need to weaken yourself. If you want the strength necessary to war against the spiritual foe, the call is to get down on your knees and submit yourself to the Lord. If you want the strength necessary to stand in the evil day, the call is to seek unto the Lord to supply it for you by grace, not to work it into your own life through merit. And as we learn to live this way, we're then called to pass it on. Verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Maybe as I preach this message, you found this place of grace and you have been made strong and said grace to live in this power. You have by, you know, no one's perfect. Of course, no one has, has established themselves entirely and you can always take back control from God at any moment, right? We've all done that before too, where we've, where we've won a battle. We've seen a great victory. God has been in control. You've seen God work and then the next week you're, you're, you've taken it back. But, it's a wonderful thing if you found this. I, I, I hope many of you have. Many of you, perhaps, have been hearing this and saying, yes, Pastor, I remember the day that I realized this for myself and I, I started living in God's grace and there was this free freedom and, and not only freedom, but there was a success that I wanted for all that time and I never found and I found it when I finally gave up in that sense. Well, that's wonderful. Live it. Live it day by day. But may I encourage you in this sense as well, If you are strong, if you have been made strong in this grace, if you have been made strong in the Lord, if you understand what it is to put on the armor of God and you're living in victory as God has called you to live, don't keep that to yourself. Fathers, your children need to understand this grace. Longtime Christian, there are relatively young believers within the scope of this ministry and within the scope of your life context who are pulling their spiritual hair out trying to be strong. And you see them straining so hard and they're exhausted and they're frustrated. And if they have the faith to receive it, then it is incumbent upon those who are mature and victorious in the body to commit these truths to them. This is a process that we call discipleship. Now, Thank God we don't have to have arrived in order to be a disciple because then none of us would be disciples. But the process of discipleship is taking what you have learned and passing it on to those who have not yet. And you do so in order that they might learn, in order that they might grow, in order that then they might be able to commit this trust to others. And this is how the church grows. I'm not talking about the physical growth numbers of our church I'm talking about this is how the church matures this is how we grow this is how we are strengthened thank God we don't have to reinvent the wheel with every generation thank God we don't have to discover all these truths for ourselves time and time again God has given us a book that book is thorough that book is clear and then he has given us one another to help figure it out together the process of discipleship, the process of edification. Now, this verse, as presented in our King James Bible, has a measure of ambiguity to it. Is Paul saying that the things that Timothy has learned from Paul and then confirmed by numerous other spiritual witnesses should be passed along? Or is Paul saying that the things that Timothy has learned about Paul and, uh, and these numerous sources should be passed along? Now, contextually, I don't think anyone has a real problem with this grammatically there's a little bit of ambiguity in our English because of that that particular conjunction but in the Greek the meaning is not ambiguous it almost certainly reflects Paul saying the things which you have learned from me as a source or as an agent reminding Timothy that these things have been confirmed that Paul has learned many things or Timothy has learned many things from Paul and that those things that Timothy has learned from him confirmed among many other biblical Ministers, many, uh, perhaps the other apostles, other ministers, says, now take these things and commit them to other faithful men. As Timothy has learned from his spiritual elders what the word of God says and how to live in his promised strength and in victory, commit them to others. And to commit them to this particular group of people he calls faithful men, not every man is a faithful man. Not every man has the faith to determinedly live, to determinedly believe the testimony and the promises of the Word of God. Now, we're all in the process of learning these things. Our whole lives will be a process of learning these things. But among the world, there's a small subset of people, as we find in, in the Scriptures and as we, have, we can validate in real life, um, who have heard the truths of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who have believed in that finished work and who thus are saved by, the, uh, by grace through faith, the indwelling Holy Spirit coming in, baptizing them in the Spirit, making them a new creation in Christ. And then of those who are born again, you have perhaps noticed, there's only a subset of those who are really growing, who, are really, who have submitted their will to the Lord. Even if they don't always know how or don't understand everything, there is a subset of the church who is determined that if God's Word says it, they're going to believe it. And then there is a subset that is somewhat content to just kind of skate through life. That person who receives the Word of God with gladness, that person who has the humility to seek unto God and to His Word and to the truths found therein, that's the faithful man, that's the faithful woman, And even among Christians, there is only a subset that are this way. But whenever they are found, they must be identified and taught, taught not only how to live in this faith, but taught how to teach others also. And this is how, as we've said, the church grows. This is how the church is strengthened. We learn lessons. We identify others who are willing to learn and we teach them, and we teach them how to teach others, and they identify others who are willing to learn, and they teach them, and they teach them how to teach others. The faithful men and women of this generation commit these things to those who bear the marks of faith in the generation that is coming. We teach them not only how to live out that faith, but how to pass it along. Perhaps as I've spoken of the armor of God, of being strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, you find that you are generally victorious in this context. You have lived long enough. You have appropriated these truths in a manner. You have, you have fought enough battles to know how to fight. Well, maybe it's time for you thus to become the spiritual drill sergeant. Maybe it's time for you to take a couple of Christians into spiritual boot camp and to teach them what you had learned about how to survive this battle. You see someone struggling. You see someone floundering. They don't understand. They've got something in their head and, and they're working, living it out and you say they're, they're, they're well-meaning but they just don't get it. Well, don't just tell that to your wife in the car on the way home. Don't just call up your, your believing friend and say, yeah, I got this person and they love the Lord, but wow, they are way off base. Commit these truths. Help people grow. Those of you that know what it is to fight that daily battle, those of you that know what it is to be victorious. Second Corinthians 1 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforteth us, us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort others who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. God brings us through our spiritual battles not just so that His grace can be manifest in our lives, but so that we can help others see that grace manifest in theirs. So be strong in that grace. And then the things that you've learned, commit to others who shall be able to teach others also. Maybe you have become a little selfish in your victory. You've been standing in the Lord's strength, but you've not really been looking outward to see who you can pass that along unto. For whatever reason, it's been enough for you to be victorious, and you've never thought or perhaps never been willing to look at the soldiers who are about you, some of whom might be struggling to put on that belt of truth or to, or to, uh, to understand that breastplate of righteousness or to figure out their shield or how to tie those shoes. And you drive home on Sunday and you say, wow, they have a zeal for the Lord, but they just can't figure it out. And as believers, that's kind of silly, isn't it? The Christian life is a battle. It's not against people. Unfortunately, particularly in our political winds today, everything is a battle against someone. You don't think like I am, you're evil. They call us evil, we call them evil, everyone's evil. It's true, actually. But that's not where the battle lies. We've said before, if I see the entire world as my enemy, how, where will my heart be to win them to Christ? We don't fight against institutions. That's not where the battle lies. It's against the spiritual darkness that deceives and engulfs the minds and hearts of men. We dare not put ourselves into the place where we aren't prepared for that day of battle, but we dare not let others walk into that battle unprepared when we know what they need to do. Now, if we try to help them and they won't be helped, okay, that's, that's their thing. They're not there. They're, they're not in that category, thus, of faithful men in that sense. but let it not be because we were unwilling to help. Simultaneously. Christian, you're struggling. I'm really bad at asking for help. Let's try to figure it out myself type person. How silly is it for me to go into battle with my armor put on wrong simply because I, wasn't able, I didn't ask anyone how to put it on right? Hmm? simply because I wasn't willing to go to someone and say, hey, I don't understand this. The Bible says to do this this way, and I'm not getting it. I'm trying, and it's not working. The Bible seems to say this, but that's not what you seem to believe it means. What, what, what do you believe the Bible says here? What am I missing? Am I missing something? And maybe they'll give you good advice. Maybe they'll give you bad advice. Maybe, maybe they don't have it either. But don't be afraid to ask. It takes tremendous emotional, spiritual, and often physical effort to pour yourself into others, to take truths and to pour them into others, to to seek unto those truths ourselves. But if we don't do it, who will? If we as a body are not going to be pouring ourselves into one another to help one another grow, who's going to do it? Like that parent who sees their children on the wrong path and says, man, I just hope someone comes along to to get them on the right path. Well, maybe that someone's you. What if your effort for a brother and sister in Christ means the difference between a spiritual victor and a spiritual casualty? Would it be worth the effort? Would it be worth the time? So the call this morning is to be strong. Not in yourself, but in the Lord. If we might say it in a perhaps a more grammatically clear context, be made strong in God's grace, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And for those who have been made strong, for those who have found that grace, the call is then to commit this unto faithful men who then can teach others also. How are you doing this morning? Do you need to be renewed in your zeal or determination today? Have you been fighting the wrong battle? Using the wrong armor? Trying to fight it in the wrong way? Are you victorious? Have you been unwilling, though, to help others with the same? If Legacy Baptist Church is to be a strong, growing church, if we are to progress in our faith, it will come only as we follow this template of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast learned, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.